1992 movie, A Few Good Men, is famous for this courtroom argument between Tom Cruise's character, military lawyer Daniel Caffey, and Jack Nicholson's character, Colonel Nathan Jessup. Daniel Caffey is the defense attorney for two soldiers who are accused um, of killing another soldier and being responsible for his death. Uh, they're under Colonel Nathan Jessup's command, and their defense is that they were ordered to haze their fellow soldier as a way to motivate him to be a team player, and they didn't know that their attack on him would leave him dead. So in this famous scene, the lawyer tries to get the colonel to confess to giving that order as a way to exonerate his defendants. And Jack Nicholson's character says, you want answers? And Tom Cruise says, I want the truth! And Jack Nicholson says, you can't handle the truth. And then he spills the truth. And it's much bigger than Tom Cruise or anyone else expected. So uh, maybe that's what you're saying today is the same thing Tom Tom Cruise character said. I want the truth. I want the truth about life and death. I want the truth about what's happening in the world. I want the truth. Don't we all want to know clearly the difference between right and wrong, good and evil, what life is about? Um, And so it's interesting because there's lines here, right? Uh, The search for truth, the search for the answers between good and evil can be great, but it can also be detrimental because that's exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden, right? Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which caused them to be separated from God and caused sin to enter in the world. And so there's a right way to pursue truth, and there's a wrong way. Thankfully, there is a person who is the truth, and that's Jesus Christ. The truth about Jesus is ultimate truth. What do I mean by that? Well, even when I was in college so many years ago, um, the big thing was, was pushing that truth is relative, that people can create their own truth for them, that there is no absolute universal truth that's true for everyone. You create your truth, you live by your truth, and then we'll all get along. Well, that doesn't work because your truth may contradict with my truth, and then who's right and who's wrong? Well, whoever is strongest, whoever can make the greatest argument or oppress the other person. The thing about the truth of Jesus Christ is it's true for everyone, everywhere, all the time. It's absolute. It's complete. We can't mold it or shape it. It doesn't evolve and it doesn't change. Who Jesus is and what he says is eternal. And he established this, as we know, the passage, John 14, 6, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. I, this is, has to be one of my favorite verses, if not yours as well, right? Because he's so clear. I am the way to the Father. You cannot get to God except through me. I am truth. If you, How many times in the Gospels does he say, truly, truly, I say to you, or I tell you the truth? It's all through there. And then life. He's the author of our life. The reason you're breathing today and you have a thought in your head is because of Jesus. And the reason that you hope, have hope for eternal life is because of Jesus. He wasn't exaggerating here. He was speaking ultimate truth. And so this is his own confession. So, I'm going to 
say today, and, and this is a very simple sermon. So since truth doesn't change, and it's based on the person of Jesus Christ, how the truth affects your life is ultimately up to your response. So we're going to look at four different responses to the truth of Jesus. The first possible response to the truth of Jesus is ignoring it. Is ignoring it. John 18. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John 18. I'm going to be jumping around the Gospels today. But in John 18, Jesus is on trial before Pilate. At this juncture, and we've been studying this for the past couple weeks, the religious leaders have wrongly convicted Jesus of heresy, and they're seeking the death penalty. They cannot put Jesus to death because they're under Roman rule. And so only Rome can put him to death. And so they brought him to Pilate, hoping that he would, would have him uh, executed. And, and Pilate is the, the governor of Judea during this time from Rome. And so it's his job, like any court setting, just like in the movie A Few Good Men, it's his decision. He's trying to get to the truth. He's trying to understand what's going on here. He's trying to get a full perspective so he can make the right choice. And so here we have a record in John 18 of his conversation with Jesus. John 18, 33 and following. It's a fairly long passage, so just bear with me. Then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews? He asked him. Jesus replied, Is this your own question, or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate retorted. Your own people and their leading priests brought you for trial. Why? What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders, but my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, So you are a king. Jesus responded, You say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. What is truth? Pilate asked. Then he went out again to the people and told them, He is not guilty of any crime, but you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to release this king of the Jews? But they shouted back, No, not this man. We want Barabbas. Barabbas was a revolutionary. Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. Hail, king of the Jews, they mocked as they slapped him across the face. Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I am going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. Then Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said, Look, here is the man. When they saw him, the leading priests and temple guards began shouting, Crucify him, crucify him. Take him yourself and crucify him. Pilate said, I find him not guilty. The Jewish leaders replied, by our law he ought to die because he called himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. He took Jesus back into headquarters again and asked him, where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Why don't you talk to me, Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or to crucify you? Then Jesus said, you would have no power over me 
at all unless I were, it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Then Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leader shouted, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. When they said this, Pilate brought Jesus out to them again. Then Pilate sat down on the judgment seat on the platform that is called the stone pavement in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was now about noon on the day of preparation for the Passover. And Pilate said to the people, look, here's your king. Away with them, they yelled. Away with him, crucify him. What? Crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar. The leading priest shouted back, then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. Pilate gets a bad rap. But, if we were in Pilate's shoes, we would be feeling a lot of pressure too. He's got a huge, tough decision on his hands. Twice in this passage, Pilate is presented with the truth that Jesus is an eternal king who's not of this world. Twice he's told this. He tells them that he tells the truth. He testifies to the truth. And anyone that loves the truth loves him. And do you know what Pilate does with this truth? He ignores it. Now, not initially, right? We see Pilate's process. I'm so grateful that we have this insight into this Roman ruler. Because the Bible is not just a Jewish book. The Bible is a book for all of us. And Pilate was a real person with real pressures and real insights, um, uh, real, real, uh, real responsibility held on to him. I think sometimes we think life would be better if we were in positions of power and had more responsibility. You couldn't pay me enough to be Pilate. <laughs> I would not want that job for anything. He's got to keep the Romans happy. He's got to keep the Jews happy. He's got to make right decisions. He's got to live with those decisions. And so he's stuck between a rock and a hard place. Whether he believes what Jesus is telling him or not, he doesn't believe that he's guilty. And yet, he feels like he's being forced to, to put judgment upon him. Um, he's feeling this political pressure. And so, he's got two choices. Either he's going to put an innocent man to death, or he's going to kill the God of the universe. Either way, it's not a good option. Knowing the truth didn't ultimately change Pilate's behavior at all. He tries to release him, but indirectly, he offers the people a choice. He pushes it off on them. It makes him feel better, but the choice was supposed to be his. Instead, he says, you make the choice, Jesus or Barabbas. He thinks it's an obvious choice because Barabbas, although we don't know his that he was America's most wanted at the time, was probably a very notorious criminal that nobody wanted on their streets. And he thought, who's the worst guy in the prison that I could set up against Jesus? So I make sure he gets out. But he put the choice on them. So the knowledge of who Jesus was, the truth, was wasted on Pilate because he chose to ignore it. And what I love about this story is he ignores the truth not because he doesn't care, he does care. But the pressures of this earth and wanting to make other people happy and, and to keep his own life and position secure was more important to him than the truth that Jesus is the truth. If he'd received 
and believe the truth that Jesus told him that he was King of kings and Lord of lords, there would have been nothing that could have stopped him from saving Jesus' life. And so the question is before us as well. You may ignore the truth of Jesus Christ. And, and, and it would be easier for anybody else to pass judgment on you. But it's more complicated than that, isn't it? We have pressures. We have expectations. We have responsibilities. How do we, how do we take this truth and not fall the, by the wayside? Let me give you a key to not ignoring the truth of Jesus. And this isn't in my notes. Think about eternity. Think about all the pressure and all the responsibility and all the people-pleasing that you feel right now and think about what happens after this life. Do you think Pilate on his deathbed really cared about that pressure anymore? No. So think about eternity. Can I choose the truth of Jesus no matter what it might cost me now? I can't live by ignoring it. The second possible response to the truth of Jesus is to seek to suppress it or destroy it. Suppress it or destroy it. It's well documented that many of the religious leaders and Pharisees and Sadducees chose to reject Jesus. He taught them even from a young age. He was in the temple courts teaching them things that they hadn't learned as grown adults. They heard his teaching. They saw his miracles. They, they heard reports of it. No matter what he did, it wasn't enough to convince them that he was the Messiah. He was God in human flesh. He was their king. All they could see was a threat to their earthly power and control. Matthew 26, 3-5 says, At that same time, the leading priests and elders were meeting at the residence of Caiaphas, the high priest, plotting how to capture Jesus secretly and kill him, but not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may riot. This seems like an odd choice to those of us who are sitting in the church, but the truth of the matter is, it is a choice and an option. We could seek to kill the truth of Jesus Christ if it doesn't fit with our narrative. Fear is the driving force for a person that's living this way because they want the, the illusion of control. But our lives, every single one of our lives, is out of our control. There are forces happening. I mean, let's just talk about this last week, right? Snow, rain, heat. Any of you control that? Any of you have a, a magical spell you can put on the weather and give us consistent weather so I can plant crops in my yard? No? Our world is out of our control, and it's in the control of God. And so, so often you can end up being an enemy of the gospel because you're wanting to be in control. Then, later on, they succeed in killing Jesus. Matthew 27, 62-36, they tell Pilate after his death, the next day on the Sabbath, the leading priests and Pharisees went to see Pilate. They told him, Sir, we remember what the deceiver once said while he was still alive. After three days... I will rise from the dead. So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. Pilate replied, take guards and listen, take guards and secure it the best you can 
So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. I find it interesting that they know the truth. They heard the truth. Those conversations that Jesus talked about His death and resurrection were to His disciples. They overheard this or they listened in. They got that message and yet they took the truth and they used it as a weapon instead of allowing it to mold them and shape them. Then, after their failed attempt to keep Him in the tomb was foiled with the resurrection, this happens in the next chapter, Matthew 20, 11-15. As the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priests what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say, Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping, and they stole his body. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so you won't get in trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it today. How many times? I should have done more homework on this so I could give you a specific number. But how many times in the Gospels do you think Jesus told these Pharisees and religious leaders the truth? How many times did they hear it? So hearing it isn't enough. Knowing it isn't enough because they knew it. Because of their refusal to believe the truth, they became enemies to the truth, and they became exactly the opposite of who they were supposed to be. They became liars. They became thieves. And they became murderers. Religious leaders. Folks, people in the world see us as religious people. Do you know what? We could be in danger of the same thing if we seek to suppress the truth of Jesus in our own personal lives. These religious leaders look nothing like the God they profess to serve. They look more like the enemy, Satan, who's the greatest liar of all time and the prince of murder and death. So if you refuse to believe the truth of Jesus, you may find yourself an enemy of the truth and someone you never thought you'd become. So I want you to see that. That's still a choice and an option to us. We daily make our choices. So you could ignore it. The second one is that you could become an enemy of it, seek to kill it or suppress it. The third possible response is to forget it. <laughs> and this is probably us more often than not, right? How many times have you read the Bible or heard a message and said, oh yeah, I forgot that. This is us most of the time. Three times. Before his death and resurrection, Jesus told his disciples that he was going to die on the third day and be raised to life. When I realize that in the scriptures, I, I always look at that and I think, well, what was the problem with them? Why did they even cry at the cross? Like, I know they cried because they, he was hurting and dying, but if they knew, then, then what's the deal? Let me read those three passages. We're still in Matthew, starting in 16, then 17, then 20. Matthew 16, 21. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Have you ever had a movie that just came out, like a premiere, and you didn't get to see it? opening night or opening day, and you're like, I don't want to get on the internet, I don't want to talk to anybody, and yet every person you come across tells you exactly what happens in the movie. 
And then you go see the movie and you act like, well, what happens? That's not going to happen, right? Here, the next passage, Matthew 17. After they gathered again in Galilee, Jesus told them the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of His enemies. He will be killed, but on the third day He will be raised from the dead. And the disciples were filled with grief. Well, obviously, they got enough to know that this is sad and this is going to happen to you. We've talked before about Peter scolding Jesus, saying, no, this won't happen to you. The third time, Matthew 20, 17-19. As Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, He took the twelve disciples aside privately and told them what was going to happen to Him. Listen, He said, We're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence Him to die, to die Then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip, and crucified. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. He gave them different details every time. Three times he told them, I have this problem in my household. Not Leah. My wife gets everything I tell her the first time. But my kids! How many times do I have to tell you? Hmm. Mark's Gospel added, 932. They didn't understand what he was saying. However, they were afraid to ask him what he meant. Do we suffer and forget because moments where we could get clarification, we don't ask for it? Are you talking about you? When you're saying the Son of Man, is that you, Jesus? Is that who you're talking about? What do you mean the third day? Are you talking like one, two, three days? Because what really happened was He died on Good Friday, right? That's day one. You had Friday evening, start of the new days in the evening. Saturday, that's day two. Sunday morning, that's day three. Is that what you... I need clarification here. When I was younger, I hated asking for directions. I I just didn't want... I wanted everybody to think I knew what was going on. As I get older, I'm like pulling over by the side of the road the first time I see somebody. I'm like, can you help me here? I don't want to waste any more time. My hours are passing. My life on this earth is short. I don't want to lose a moment. Can you help me? They don't ask. So where do we find the disciples on the morning of the third day? Do we see them eagerly waiting at the tomb? The Gospels don't tell us where they are. Maybe they slept in. The truth does you no good if you forget it. Jesus told them three times the greatest moment in human history, the turning point of the universe is going to happen and you're invited to be there. And they didn't show because they forgot. Now we're dense. I'll just be honest. We're all dense. Maybe you're not as dense as I am. You probably aren't. That's why we live in the Word. That's why we read it daily. That's why we need each other to remind us of the truth. That's why you're here today. I'm not telling you, most of you, anything that you haven't heard before. But it's like, oh yeah, light bulb. If the disciples are dense and they follow Jesus every day for three years, maybe I'm just as much danger of forgetting the truth. So don't fall into that pattern of forgetfulness. The fourth response to the truth of Jesus and the final response 
is to believe it and live it accordingly. So my example, I want to give this morning for the people that believed and lived the truth are six women. Six women. Matthew's Gospel records that when Jesus was killed on the cross and buried, both Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting across from the tomb watching. This was news to me. This is something I hadn't seen before. I knew of Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus asking for Jesus' body and burying it. I did not know that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary are watching Jesus' body being prepared and put in the tomb. That's, that's a huge insight to me. Everybody else has left. Everybody else has gone home. It's the Sabbath. It's, it's the Passover. we we got to get back. They're mourning. They're crying. They are there watching Jesus being placed in the tomb. They want to know where He is, where His body is going to lie. Now, who's this other Mary? Well, you're going to see through the Gospels that there are four Marys recorded at the resurrection. My best guess is that this is Mary, the mother of Jesus, because she was there at the cross, right? Jesus says to John, this is your mother, this is your son, take care of her. Um, Why so many Marys? We've talked about this before. Remember when Naomi lost her husband and her sons, her her name meant joyful, and she said, no, call me Mara, which means bitter. So when you have lots of kids, when when Emma was born, there was lots of kids named Emma. When Ava was born, there was lots of Avas. Names run through cycles, right? There's more Judas now than I've ever heard before since I named my son Judah. I'm not a trendsetter. It just happens that way. When there's a name that sticks out in this culture, especially in this culture, names meant something. So when you got a bunch of women named Mary, guess what the attitude of the people is? Bitterness. I don't know if these moms just like, oh, I got another kid. I, I don't know if that's it or if it's just the oppression of the culture. But there's a bunch of Marys. And, uh, and so Matthew's Gospel relates that these two women were on the way to the tomb of the day of the resurrection to visit the tomb. So they washed where he was being laid. They saw him being prepared. And then they went to the tomb after the Passover. Mark's Gospel relates that three women went, including Salome and Mary the mother of James. Salome is considered to be the mother of James and John. So I know this is confusing. Two mothers of a guy named James. One of them we know is the James of John. The the other mother, the Mary of James, is probably known as James the Lesser. Mark records that they came to anoint the body. So, Matthew doesn't record that they came to anoint the body. They were just going to the tomb. Mark says, no, they came to anoint the body. Luke's Gospel says, the women. Which is really interesting, because Luke's Gospel tends to have the most detail, and Luke just says, uh, just the women went. John's Gospel relates another woman, Joanna, as well as Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and several women. So there's at least six women who go to the tomb on resurrection morning. The point I'm trying to make is this. We can't say with any certainty that they knew about the resurrection of Jesus Christ because every time it's recorded, Jesus is talking directly to their disciples. But could they have known it? Absolutely. If the religious leaders knew about the resurrection, then most likely they did as well. But what what I can tell you today is that they believed Jesus even after His death and they were not done honoring him they were still dedicated 
to Jesus. And because of their belief in the truth, these women were the first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They did not allow their social status as women in a community to keep them away from the tomb. They didn't allow the circumstances and the situation to keep them away from the tomb. They were going to Jesus, not knowing what they were going to find, but they went. And that is believing in truth that compels you to move even in the worst circumstances and situations. They got to experience the greatest moment in human history. A bunch of Marys. Can you imagine? Everyone was invited. Everyone was invited, and they were the only ones that showed up. So, what are you going to do with the truth of Jesus? And I'm not saying, what are you going to do with the truth? I'm saying daily. Daily. Because what you make, the decisions you make in the big moments are dictated by what you do in the daily moments. What are you going to do with the truth of Jesus? Are you going to ignore it? Don't think it affects your life. I'm just going to do what I do. There's so many other worries and concerns that i got to deal with. I'll deal with Jesus later. Maybe later on in life when things calm down a little bit. Are you going to fight against it? Well, I, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. I, I'm a Jesus follower. I, I, I wouldn't fight against Jesus. Oh, really? If you're not being obedient to Him, then you're fighting against Him. You're, you're suppressing what He wants to do not only in the body of Christ, but in your family and your community. Don't be an enemy of the cross. The third option, forget about it. We forget all the time. Don't forget why we need community. That's why we need fellowship. That's why we need teaching. Or finally, believe it and pursue it. That's why this message is so timely with Emily's testimony. Because what college student says, I want to go to Hungary where there's refugees and war happening in a neighboring country, and I want to go and promote the gospel. I want to put myself in harm's way. I want to leave the safety of my friends and family and go and do this. It's because she believes in Jesus enough to put her life on the line and pursue Him. And she's a woman. Who are you going to be? What an intimate moment. The Okay, I'm going to wrap it up here. But the best moments with Jesus are intimate moments that no one else knows about. Think about it. Walking on water, who else was there? Even when he raised that little girl from the dead, right? He, he had all the mourners leave. She's asleep. He had a handful of chosen people that got to experience that. The resurrection, lots of people invited. His birth, who was there? We, we, we think it's got to be big and huge and everybody's there. No, it's the beautiful moments of obedience that are transformational. And because we're obedient, He shares it with us, although so many more people could be a part of it. Lord, I thank You for Your Word and the fact that truth is true no matter how we receive it or respond to it, Lord. So today, we've heard the truth about Jesus and we've seen examples of people and how they respond, make us people of truth that will choose to obey it. 
look beyond our circumstances and situations, look beyond our hindrances, even look beyond our fears that often hinder us from, from following and help us to embrace the truth of the gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward and, uh, and we're going to close out this